Welcome, curious learners and inquisitive minds. Today, I am honored to have some of the brightest researchers here at CSU Channel Islands. When you hear the term augmented reality, what kinds of things does your mind envision? On one hand, it may conjure a futuristic utopia where our everyday lives are enhanced by seamless integration with digital wonders. On the other hand, it may also raise questions about the potential consequences and challenges that come with this transformative technology. But what exactly is augmented reality, or AR? Now, unlike virtual reality, which immerses users in a completely digital environment, AR enhances our perception of reality by adding computer-generated elements to our physical environment via smartphones, smart glasses, or specialized headsets. In essence, AR allows us to interact with both the physical and digital realm simultaneously and in real time. From enhancing our gaming experiences to transforming how we learn, work, and interact with the world, augmented reality is reshaping our reality in ways we could have never imagined. And with that, we welcome you to Cracking the Secrets of Math. On this episode, as you may have guessed, we will be taking the deep dive into augmented reality, 3D graphics engines, and the challenges that arise when modeling electrochemical corrosion degradation. Let's embark on this journey together and dive into the realm of science fiction made real as we explore the captivating world of augmented reality. Have you ever wondered how mathematicians and physicists come up with their groundbreaking theories? Or how we use science to solve complex real-world problems? Join my team and I as we explore topics ranging from calculus, paradynamics, biology, chemistry, computer science, and well, just about everything in between. Whether you're a student of math, a curious learner, or simply someone who wants to know more about the beauty of numbers and corrosion, this podcast is for you. We want to extend a special thank you to CSU Channel Islands Dolphin Radio, NASA's Undergraduate Student Research Challenge, and all of the otherworldly mentors which make undergraduate research in this podcast possible. And hey, don't forget to check out our website, crackingmathpodcast.com. So tune in, grab a pencil and paper, and get ready to crack the secrets of math. Welcome to this episode of Cracking the Secrets of Math. Today we have Isaac and our very own Patrick, and we're going to be talking about uh, numerical solvers. We're going to be talking about the fast Fourier transform in Unity. My name is Trent. I am an applied physics and business major here at CSUCI with my research mentor, Dr. Cynthia Flores. Thanks for having us, Trent. I'm so pleased to have Isaac and Patrick here today. I'm just so curious to know what's on your mind today. I'm Patrick McDonough. I'm a math and computer science major. Uh, so right now, uh, what I'm thinking about is the fast Fourier transform, which is topical because your phone is doing a fast Fourier transform right now uh, to listen to the audio. In fact, actually, it's an inverse fast Fourier transform, but the microphone did a fast Fourier transform. Tell me again, how is my phone performing fast Fourier transform computations? And actually, going back, what is a fast Fourier transform. What's a Fourier transform? Uh, a Fourier transform is a way of converting a signal uh, from being in uh, 
time space, where time may or may not actually mean time, to being in frequency space. So in the case of the audio you're listening to right now, my voice is composed of several different frequencies uh, because physics. And uh, the naive way of, of recording this is just, well, how far is the microphone uh, moving? Mm -hmm. uh, but that takes up a lot of data. And we figured out a better way of doing it, which is we say, okay, well, how much of, of uh, C, the, the music quality is there, how much of slightly sharper than that, and so on. Um, and this is, this is a mathematical operation. And it, not, the naive way of doing this is very large matrix multiplication. But very large matrix multiplication is slow. And when you listen to audio, you don't want any lag because that is super annoying. So what we do instead is some really uh, interesting, complicated uh, algebra that allows us to compute effectively the same thing with logarithmic, logarithmically many computations instead of, uh, sorry, linearly linear many computations instead of quadratically many. So that's uh, n log n instead of n squared. And I think you probably want me to explain about what most of those no, words mean. Um, I think we'll leave that for the audience. I'm actually really fascinated that that we're talking about the Fourier transform mm -hmm. again in a different setting. Um, no, what I'm wondering now is we're here to talk about mathematical modeling of corrosion, um, you know, degradation, degradation of materials due to corrosion, modeling them mathematically. And you know, you immediately started talking about the Fourier transform. I want to know a little bit about how that presents itself, um, how pre how it presents numerical challenges. What's the Fourier transform got to do with any of it? And maybe Isaac, you can tell us some of the goals you have for this project as well. And I actually would like to start with Isaac. Could you share some of the goals that you have for this project? Um, I know one of the big goals that uh, we as a group have for this project, I know Patrick, you want to go into grad school and use this project for, you want to definitely add to this project a lot when it comes to that. Um, I know one of the big goals right now is we, our school graciously gifted us with um, these new HoloLens 2 glasses, which have uh, augmented reality capabilities. And right now it's been kind of my responsibility to set it up and we want to be able to take a lot of the solvers from these mathematical, um, take a lot of the, sorry, the graphs or the 3D graphs that we get and the images from the mathematical modeling software that we're going to be talking about later on and being able to put them into an augmented reality simulation so it's easier for people to sort of like walk around and get to visualize it a lot better, the corrosion process, and hopefully we can try and get some of that up and running. At this moment, I'd also like to take a moment to thank Project Ayudas for the, um, for the HoloLens uh, virtual augmented reality glasses. Thank you. Thank you, Project yeah, thank Ayudas. You. Um, I, I, and that's amazing. So it sounds like there's numerical solvers, there's visualization with 3D holographics, and that's paired with physical experiments as well. Right, correct. And so what we're doing, and again, we can bring up the Fourier transform again, where our SVET experimentation is using a vibrational electrode. And we're using a handful of principles, a lock and amplifier. We're raising the noise floor so we can filter it out. But we use 
FOIA analysis to do so. And we very succinctly put our vibrations such that all of the harmonics that show up, like we have a harmonics that are overlapping, so we know exactly what direction these vibrations are coming from. And it's honestly really cool. It is such a powerful thing. And uh, I think FOIA analysis shows up everywhere in physics. You can't find a physicist that doesn't talk about <laughs> FOIA analysis in one way or another. So are you actually computing a, a Fourier transform, or is it just a particular frequency you're interested in? So now this is the curiosity is we realized in vibrating our, um, our probe. And so we're taking a couple approaches, but we do want to explore the vibrating probe. Um, one of the things I was concerned with was, was ensuring that the vibration of the probe was in uh, basically one direction, one plane. Um, and then Dr. Rasnow told us that we really don't need to worry about that, that wobbles that we get in the X or the Z direction could actually be very useful too. And if we do it cleverly, we can filter filter that out with the the like FOIA so analysis. That's really counterintuitive. It I had the hardest time understand not understanding it, but just like accepting that fact because I kept going back to like we can divide like build this thing that'll make it go direct up and down and and you know Razna was like we don't need to we're actually getting more depth by adding noise in different spatial regions that's giving us um, um, better current density maps that won't just be in one plane, hopefully. But he's, he, he did this in his research with his um, weekly electric fish, where he used these, um, these FOIA transforms to actually filter out those signals. Um, it's, it's really impressive. It's beautiful, actually. Yeah, and once again, we're back to frequency and vibration. You, Nikola Tesla, right? Who <laughs> Seriously. Suggested this is uh, an ideal way to view the world. Um, I wanted to maybe take it back a little bit, um, ask a couple of questions um, that are a little more foundational. Like, how do you take uh, uh, an existing mathematical model and design a uh, like computational workflow so that you can obtain a numerical simulation, and then maybe even later on. What is augmented reality? The first thing we want to do when we're actually making miracle simulations of that is make it not a continuum model and instead be a desk test. Mm -hmm. So if you imagine um, sound is a really uh, useful example here because it's one dimensional and mm -hmm. it's something that we kind of vaguely intuitively understand. Uh, the, the diaphragm of a microphone will move back and forth continuously. But when we're making a model of how something sounds, like an audio file, we don't actually record anything continuously because we can't. Mm -hmm. What we do is we, sample, is we sample it at, say, 64 kilohertz, and we record how far the uh, diaphragm is displaced at each time step. Um, mm -hmm. And similarly, we don't actually record exactly how far it's displaced this place because, again, we can't. Instead, what we record is uh, uh, an approximation of that, which is another form of discretization. Similarly, um, we have to discretize in, in uh, a 3D model. You have to discretize in X, Y, and Z directions, and then you also have to discretize in time. Mm -hmm. And that discretization is the hard part. Um, if you are solving something like a partial differential equation, uh, frequently 
that you'll have interactions that are very local. And if you try to just desperatize naively, everything is very computationally difficult. It takes a very long time. So the next step is to think, if, think about how we can think about things more globally. And that's where tools like Fourier analysis come in. Yes, yes, it does. Um, I actually have a follow-up for, for you both. Can you tell me a little bit about, so we're talking about in the setting of a mathematical model for corrosion damage using the peridynamics framework. And so is, it's my understanding that there are existing programs that, like multi-physics simulators that would help you solve your equations, which, which tend to fit into a specific mold, right? The peridynamic equation of motion. Can you tell us a little bit about your experiences with a few of the different multi-physics simulators? Peripy is two-dimensional, and it also has an issue where even though it's marketed as being relatively easy to use, it's actually not. Um, now, marketing is probably a bit of exaggeration. So then the other thing we're looking at is Paradigm. I don't think I was here when we were working that much on PeriPy. Uh, no, that would have been Sheridan. Yeah, that would have been with some of the earlier colleagues in our research. Um, all I can say is that Peri, uh, yeah, Peri, Paradigm, uh, which is a multi-physics uh, simulation software, um, I, going into it, I had absolutely no idea about anything involving uh, setting up libraries and a lot of the creating an environment for the physics simulation stuff to run. Um, I got some experience with it, uh, working with another similar program called SaySoul, which also was really difficult to compile. And um, that's for your supercomputing competition. Right? Yeah, for that. So I had to go to an entire supercomputing conference to get a slight idea of <laughs> what's going on with this. And even with all of that experience, I was still kind of struggling with setting up a lot of the minor libraries that were required, like Trillinos. Um, I think we got NetCDF and yeah. CF5 up and running. Trillinos is famously difficult to deal with. Yeah. Uh, we, we talked to the director of the supercomputer we were using. Uh, his response was basically, are you sure you want to use Trillinos? <laughs> we said, <laughs> I, yes, yeah. I, I guess so. It's like, okay, this is difficult. Um, yeah, so uh, for, my, for my last presentation, since I, since I missed the, the research conference, uh, Professor Flores jokingly suggested that uh, in, instead of that for a makeup presentation, I could do a town crier style. Um, and I decided I was going to pretend it wasn't a joke. And so I gave this, this presentation on how, on how we had slain the dragon that is Paradigm. Uh, and it was, it was honestly a pretty good metaphor. <laughs> hear ye, hear ye. I bet there's listeners that remember that day. What are you up to nowadays? Well, uh, I, just, I just completed my application for your master's program. Uh, and I am interested in continuing this, this, this research. Uh, Not with Paradigm, I'm assuming. No, we are switching to Perifast. And if I never have to see Paradigm again, it will be too soon. Oh, I mean, I shouldn't have laughed or said it's aw. funny. Enough. <laughs> okay, it's okay. I find it That's funny. That's okay. I mean, I, I saw the struggles um, 
that you and Isaac went through uh, with Paradigm. So it sounds like Parafast um, has been going uh, in a more positive direction. Can you tell tell us about you know what has been working, what has worked so far, what you plan to do differently? Yes, it's gone remarkably smoothly. Like smoothly, like the first day we were able to actually tweak the code slightly and get different results. Mm-hmm. That that took months. It's her. also important to note that uh, it's running in MATLAB, so it's a MATLAB. It's, it's a program that's run in MATLAB, which works really well also for our research because our communication with our SVET robot is also in MATLAB. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, when I first saw it, I didn't like MATLAB because arrays are indexed from one, which is just incorrect. <laughs> We're back um, on this. <laughs> but I, up, and that seems to be its, its only significant flaw. Um, I still can't imagine why anyone would think that's the right thing to do. Well, Patrick, you're throwing MATLAB under the bus. You're throwing Paradigm under the bus. I mean, yeah. I'm not getting Patrick's cross just because he's going to let you know what he really feels. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not exactly an optimist. How would you describe yourself? A realist. I'd go with pessimist. Oh, right. Okay, pessimist. I was trying to give you the benefit of it. Well, see, I will have said realist, too. See, calling someone a realist is just too optimistic for me. Good point. Good point. I have to be a little more pessimistic. So, okay, so now that you have some, um, you have some results from the files that you obtained on GitHub, so thank you to the creators of Perifast. This is working really well uh, for undergraduate research. Tell me a little bit about, Isaac, what do you plan to do with those results? And actually, did you tell us what augmented reality is for those uh, listeners who are still wondering, are we there yet? We are there. What is augmented reality? And perhaps how does it differ from virtual reality? I'm glad you asked. Um, so virtual reality, if you haven't seen any of those virtual reality headsets, um, when the virtual reality headset is off, all that you see is the black screen in front of you. So when you have virtual reality, that means all that you can see is the computer. And it kind of pretends that everything is, like the re- is, everything is on the screen. Whereas augmented reality, augmented reality kind of works with what's around you. So you're actually able to see all the stuff around you, it just like stuff appears as like holograms and you're, able, you're still able to see your outside environment. And both are important for many different things, um, like having a video game in augmented reality, if you're trying to create like a fantasy world or something entirely different, much better in VR. But if you're trying to do something like we're doing where you wanna have a visualization of a model and you wanna be able to walk around it as well as interact with um, other materials and utilize like your hands, um, augmented reality seems to be a lot better. So right now we're, I'm trying to look at a couple of different options. Um, I know since we're using a lot, we're using very complicated MATLAB uh, programs and a lot of the times it does take a while to run. So having uh, something that updates um, current mathematical models seems like it's very time consuming especially when it comes with setting up information setting up a way to transfer information from a created app in the hololens to the actual matlab itself which is probably going to be running on a computer and having to create that network and balance variables and calculations back and forth is just really inefficient and right now that's where unity's coming in because with Unity, we can create some kinds of shortcuts and it'll allow us to better um, 
transfer the data um, as well as like to better size the models for what we want to do with them. So right now I'm deciding between Unity and the Unreal Engine, which are two very big augmented reality um, engine creation or 3D game design engines. And right now the current prototype as it stands is to create the graph in MATLAB, import it into Unity, uh, add a couple of things to help make looking around it easier as well as implementing the data and then shipping that straight into the HoloLens. That way everyone can view it. That sounds fascinating. I mean, you make it sound easy, but I know it's going to be a challenge, especially since, from what I imagine, so few people even have access to augmented reality sets. So I imagine the community around working on projects like that is, is it's a really small community. But of course, they're welcome as listeners here. And one thing I wanted to circle back to with Patrick you mentioned the, the Fourier transform. You mentioned the fast Fourier transform, and you mentioned how this framework would help in computation. Can you say a little bit about that? Yes. Um, so for the models we're doing, uh, we actually have a multidimensional uh, Fourier transform. So what you do is you Fourier transform the X, Fourier transform the Y, Fourier transform the Z. Uh, those actually commute. You can do them in any order. Um, and your, your choice of basis also doesn't really matter that much either. So once you've, once you've done that, um, then we can, we can think of things in a, in a different way than we normally do. It's, it's really quite analogous to thinking in terms of pitch rather than in terms of uh, diaphragm displacement on microphone. So for example, one thing we're doing is we're working with uh, Laplace and Poisson equations for electric potential. And one of the important things here uh, is that we, we want to have uh, equations match their boundary conditions. So to do that, naively, one thing you could do is you could just set everything up, set everything to zero except for the boundary conditions, recompute better approximations, um, by, by allowing uh, current to flow almost like a time step because you can approximate uh, the Poisson equations uh, with either the diffusion equations or the wave equations. But if you do that, that's gonna take a lot of computational resources. And there are, there are situations where the answer is kind of obvious. So for example, if, you, if your boundary conditions are all the same all around, you're gonna have a, a homogeneous solution. You're gonna have what I mean by that is you're going to have a solution where everything is constant everywhere. If you have a boundary condition where you have uh, one part is at one, another part's at zero, it's going to be linear. And uh, we actually think of this in terms of sines and cosines. But when we do that, uh, we can effectively get sines and cosines to add up to either to, to linear or in the um, or in the constant case, we just get that one term in our Fourier expansion is non-zero, and that's the term corresponding to uh, exactly what the solution is, the, the, the constant in our solution. I'm glad you brought up um, the Poisson equation and the potential equation or Laplace equation. It sounds like you'll be able to, you know, bring out information around things like the current density, mm -hmm. right? And that sounds like an opportunity 
to match or validate the model with uh, physical experiments. And that's what we're, we're really trying to do with our physical experiment is being able to verify the, the mathematical model. Yeah, once we have a potential solution, it's really easy to calculate uh, current. Uh, the electric field is a negative gradient of the potential field, mm -hmm. and Ohm's law uh, says that current is linear in the electric field, and it's, it's a vector equation, so you get the direction free. Well, thank you very much, Isaac and Patrick and Dr. Flores. We would like to thank all of our podcast listening community and CCCI's Dolphin Radio for making this podcast possible. We post, uh, we do our best to post weekly podcasts, so feel free to tune on in whenever you can, and we crack the secrets of math together.